Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum here with Ryan Tejas. Busy week, man. Yeah, we've been doing it. We had the Talkville episodes. We had, uh, you know, ads and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, intros, outros. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of stuff. It's good. I just had, we just had a guest that just left. Yeah. Uh, Nestor Carbonell, who I love from Lost and Bates Motel. What a great guy. He'll be on uh, down the line. So you want to listen to that. What a great story, you know, about his uh, parents immigrating from Cuba. It's a good one. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. He was, he was special. You know, I did this thing. I haven't talked about it a lot, but I will. But um, this is unbelievable. It's, uh, it's called Pranuvo. It's this uh, body scan. It's, it, it, you, you, it's like an MRI, but there's no radiation. It's not harmful or anything at all. But you do this body scan, complete body scan, and it will detect so many things that could be going wrong that you aren't even aware of, you know, because you go, mm-hmm. and they're, by the way, they're not giving me any money. I just think this is amazing. And I did a scan, but, um, you know, they detect stage one cancers, all of them except leukemia. Wow. So if you had a mass, it would show it and you could treat it so much earlier than you would have if you didn't, you know, mm-hmm. It's just pretty amazing, but uh, I posted something on Instagram on stories. I haven't posted on Instagram, but I'm going to post it once my results come back. They res- my results come back in a week, but it's I, I, I recommend everybody doing this. I think this is going to be part of the norm. This is uh, pretty incredible to be able to see if there's things going on. It's not just cancers. It's other things, abnormalities or whatever. But uh, if you want to try this scan, it's in selected cities, um, you know, uh, use my code for uh, $300 off. It's pranuvo.com slash Michael, P-R-E-N-U-V-O.com slash Michael. It's it, it's going to save many lives, many lives. They see it all the time or they see a stage one cancer or something. And um, I was just curious. I was like, you know, I want to kind of jump on that stuff, uh, the health stuff. So I, I got the scan and I was nervous. And when I went in, it was really cool. It's laid back. I was in and out in like an hour. And um I watched Seinfeld during my scan (laughs) and it was cool. So again, what's the deal with the scan? What's the deal with my body? Someone help me scan. me. I want to know. Hey, Jerry. All right. Pranuvo.com. P R E N U V O.com slash Michael. Um, what else we got? Um, lots of good stuff going on. Um, we were just at a con Tom and I, um, we were in Vegas and then we were in Dallas but we've got these new art pieces on the Talkville Podcast website, talkvillepodcast.com. And it's uh, their original pieces of art. We hired this artist, and she made only 55 prints, and we're selling those autographed. A lot of cool stuff there. And on the Inside of You online store, we got ship keys, Lexmas scripts, and tons of Inside of You cool merch to support the podcast. And last but not least, of course, um, join Patreon. Patreon uh, is the reason why this podcast and Talkville are surviving. And that's the honest to God truth is because patrons who give something to the show, um, listening is enough. But if you want to give something great, um, go to patreon.com slash inside of you. And uh, also 
the band Sunspin. Our album just came out. You, you can stream it for free everywhere, or you can get merch and CDs and stuff at sunspin.com. That's it. Our handles for Inside of You, Ryan. Uh, at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast, Instagram, and Facebook. That is correct. We mm-hmm. love and support, love the support, and uh, write a review. It helps the podcast, all that jazz. Um, this next guest is someone I just adore, uh, you know. I had this, I was at a con and I met him and then he was giving me a massage because I had a big knot in it. <laughs> um, you know this guy from so much. He's he's a great director. He's a great actor. It was just fun. He, very, he was very relaxed in the studio. He came in here and just put his feet up and just kind of went along. You know, he just is, is who he is. And I love that. I, I had so much fun with him. Um, you know, from Star Trek and the movies and, the, you know, he's directing episodes. He's working on the new Picard. They've got a reunion thing coming up and you got to check that out. That's why we're airing this because it's about to happen. Um, so you want to listen to this and find out the inside scoop on a lot of these actors. But uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just do it. Let's get inside of Jonathan Frakes. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Can I take my shoes off? Yeah. You can take uh, your shoes off. What about my pants? You know, Ke- well, you know, oh. I don't mind. But you know what's funny is Kevin Nealon once, he just lied down. And it was like, you know, yeah. he just put his hands behind his back. Do you listen to Smartless? Um, I've listened to an episode or two. It's great. Uh, they just did Dana Carvey yesterday. And I, I walked the dog listening to it. And I, I was roaring in the street. People looked at me like I was insane. Really? Carvey is, he was on fire. He did all of his people. All of his impressions? He did Church Lady to George Bush. And then he did him, himself interviewing different characters that he done. It was really brilliant. Do you they, know what's funny? Is when I was a kid, my parents, I was, they always made me babysit my brother. I never, I never went to a high school dance. I never, I never left the house. They just kept me trapped in the That's house. That's why you got me here. Yeah. I would look you're, around you're you. You're comfortable like this. Look away. Um, and I remember I would watch SNL. And I had nothing better to do, so I'd memorize all the sketches and the voices, and oh they'd come God. home, and I'd go. Which era is this? Uh, this is the eighties. So it was like that, um, it was the same that, thing. So it was like, "Hello again, it's the church lady. Yeah. This is church chat." Well, that's did, the Kevin Nealon era too. No, Kevin Nealon era. So that's what I really grew up with, and then into the Sandler phase, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I but I always would do impressions and stuff just to get attention and get people to go, oh, you know, and that's that's kind of like you like attention don't you i'm a a, a bit of attention whore yeah i mean i never got attention as a kid now you hear that a lot and sometimes you know people need attention do you feel like you got a lot of attention growing up attention growing up yeah you did yeah a lot of actors didn't though and my i'm actually my parents my father especially was very happy to have me be an actor as opposed to a lot of actors why is that? He was a film buff. He loved John Ford, and he used to make me watch movies. And he was a teacher, and a, he, he, his thing was you got to do something that you really love. Yeah, but wasn't he also? Was it hard because he was a a, a book critic for the New York Times? Oh, fuck. So if you did a project, weren't you going? Oh my God, he's going to hammer me. He's going to look at it a, a certain way. And the whole thing about him, we could do him. Should we start on Jim, Doctor James let, R. Frakes? Let's do it. I tell a great story. I think about when he died uh, years ago and I inherited his uh, the books that he had 
taught of his teaching editions of all his books. He talked Hemingway, Faulkner, Joyce, Henry James, you know, the contemporary guys and all that shit. And he was, um, so he was very loved teacher and uh, would go back and reread his novels before he taught them. So he, one time in high school, after having read uh, um, something, I said, I'm ready to read Ulysses. Joyce says Ulysses. <laughs> Portrait of an artist as a young man, which you have to read when you're in high school. Right. So he said, uh, Jonathan, you're really not ready for Ulysses. You can't handle Ulysses. I said, okay, dad, fine. So he's dead. I'm now probably 60. I'm my little library in Maine, which looks like this room, and a pull up. And I'm getting very sentimental because I got a chair that was his chair that when he was given this special chair, and it's got this it says Lehigh University on the back, and I'm sitting in dad's chair. And I take the, uh, dog-eared Ulysses out of the thing and I said I thought this will be a great moment I'll have a moment with my dead dad and I open you I do about two paragraphs and I'm fucking lost completely out of my realm and I said yeah you're right I can't handle Ulysses I'm 62 years old I put the fucking book back and haven't taken it down since you never read Ulysses I still I'm not ready I can't handle Ulysses obviously my dad was right you can't handle Ulysses either you ever read Ulysses what? You, you never read Ulysses? Have you? No, no, yeah, no. Exactly. I'm not going to lie to you. I read some Nietzsche and I was lost. But I know. Uh, just Nietzsche, to be even cool. Nietzsche's even easier to understand. I, yeah, probably. I don't know. Is, I, is uh, that Harrison Ford next to you? That is Harrison Ford. That's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You ever see that movie? Oh, I watched uh, the Raiders. I was just, I just finished a, a <laughs> just finished a Hallmark Christmas movie. Really? There's some tea there. You didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. I, but I hear a lot of people are doing those now. I notice a lot of actors. You know, they get paid well, I guess, and they it's it's a great gig. And Picardo was on it. Picardo had a day on it. I saw I had, some, I had a nice evening with him. But I I get home because we were on two to two because the uh, Biltmore Hotel. The, it was a Vanderbilt Biltmore Hotel. The story's at Christmas, a Biltmore Christmas, but they stayed open during the day. So we worked from two to two. So you get back to the hotel and on the movie channel. Was that movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders. Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park. So about three o'clock in the morning while you're winding down, there was something to watch. What were you, first of all, a Hallmark movie, is it just something that you can easily just walk through? You kind of no, learn? Well, I still worry about, or more than ever, worry about holding the lines. And I, I, and I, I, was, course. I was playing the um, sort of the caretaker or the caretaker of the uh, Biltmore estate. So I was doing the tour. So I had fucking pages of chatter about who this is, who this mythical character is. And it's, it throws back to a 1940s movie that was shot at the hotel. And so, so I had a lot of setting up pages. Of, why do you accept something like that? Do you stress with it? Money. <laughs> well, well, why would you? <laughs> right. But, but let me ask you, I mean, do you, when you read something, you're like hoping, do you now hope? I don't have a lot of hope. I don't have a lot of Oh lines. yeah. I hope his faces only. You know? Because it's probably, I mean, when you look at all these pages, like how, how long does it take you to learn maybe a couple pages of dialogue? I can, it takes me ages. My wife, as you know, I'm married to Jeannie Francis and I just sent her off to work and she literally, um, she's doing eight shows in five days this week and she does 30 pages of dialogue a night, some nights. And she will look at him for, she's been doing it for 45 years. She'll look at the dialogue and if she has a lot of dialogue, maybe 40 minutes. What? Wait a minute. And then she gives me, and she says, okay, let me see if I have that. And she gives me the script and she fucking kills it day after day after day after day after day how intimidating is that well it's and again it's because she's so good at it that only you know expands my paranoia <laughs> about it 
But she also has a muscle that very few people have. She's been yeah. doing it since she was 13 or 14. That's a rarity. A lot How about of you? Are you good with lines? You know, I think I was better when I was younger, but yeah. like now it, it de definitely scares me. If someone says, hey, they want you for this, it, you're going to shoot Monday and it's a Friday. And you it's see like, it. you got to make sure you read it. I didn't read the. Oh, yeah. I got I, I, I just took the job. And then where you once you accepted it, you're like, oh, fuck. Well, I knew the director. I worked with John Putch, who was the director. He used to actually was on Star Trek. And Putch said, do you want to come do this job? I don't know what you'd make, but you'd make some money. Picardo's going to be in it. We'll fly you to North Carolina. If you will do it, try to knock all your stuff off in a week. So why wouldn't I say yes? Don't you say yes to when a director asks you to do a job? No. Really? Not unless I really want to do it. Wow, you are different. You don't need the money. Well, it's not that. I mean, you 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 don't need the money. But don't you love to work? No. And I'll get to the point here. You like this. Um, you, you you can fulfill. You have enough hobbies that you don't have to be working yeah, It's all weird, them. too, because uh, I talk about this ad nauseum. But, like, I... Does look, it talk about this ad nauseum? Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, I... I I love acting. I, I I did it in high school. I did it through college. I did theater. I did off-Broadway stuff like you did. And, you know, I had that bug. But I think part of me, I'll just be honest, was like, I want to be on TV. I want to be in the movies. I want to be seen. I want to be... And even though I studied hard and worked hard and really took it seriously... So when you got it, there was There was an element of fun for me. Like, it was like a fun thing. And then... But the work... I think a lot of people don't realize they think it's just easy and fun all the time. They and all think it's fun until they come to visit you. And then they, they say, it. wait a minute, you work it for 12 hours. Why I are said, you That's doing, regular day why are you doing the same fucking scene for oh. six hours? <laughs> and so look, it's not that I don't want to act. It's that if I'm going to do something, it's got to, for now, it's just got to be something that I'm like, Oh, this, this will be great. This is with a great director or this is, this could, this could do that's something. What I'm saying if a director that you like calls you and offers you a gig, oh, well, you like, yeah, like that's a, what I meant. That's what Pudge, oh, okay. Pudge yeah. called not said, any director, but yeah, no, no, but a director that you know and like, mm -hmm. yeah. Like, let's say, yeah. let's say I'd call you. Cause I used to be a nice little director. I mean, you, you're a big director. Now you direct a lot. I mean, we've been talking, but I want to talk about, like you talk about your dad and I, I could see when you were telling that story how you remember it's so vivid and i could just see the room you're, you're in and yeah and just well he was he a, meant a lot to you he, he was great he were was your great. mother and father both really good parents maybe um my dad was a uh a, uh eccentric and didn't like to travel his traveling was going out on the porch to have a cigarette you know my mom wanted to go to england and ireland and all you know so there was that he worked his ass off she took care of us. He was diabetic, so she made sure he got fed at all the right times. He um, he was the muse to a lot of... I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and we lived... It was, you know, half of a, uh, half of a house, and we were, you know, a steel town. And my dad... We were a weird family because we were... He was an English professor, and we weren't steel workers. We were next, next door to a, a rabbi who used to paint the rocks, and it was a really eclectic, weird neighborhood. But the kids I grew up with who became songwriters and musicians and poets would come to our house because we had modern art on the wall. It was weird. But my dad was like a mentor to some of these kids who were my oldest friends, one of whom I just visited last week. And uh, he would he would give them Rilke or whatever. He'd give them some poetry to read or he'd talk about. He was so, he was such a loving, gentle, sweet, ironic, funny, um, kind of uh, sarcastic, was uh, he affectionate? To, yeah, but not not. Would he give you a hug? Absolutely. Would he say, "I love you"? Absolutely. I'm proud of you. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Yeah, all of the above. See, that's beautiful. All of the above. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker. 
Qualia Synaletic. I've been using this stuff, Ryan, for focus. Uh, I just feel better, a sense of well-being. If you want to help resist aging at the cellular level, you got to try Qualia Synaletic. Um, have you heard about Synaletics, Ryan? Uh I have a little bit, but why don't you tell me about it's it? It's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why we use Qualia Senolytic. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months. I, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. And then I tried Qualia Synaletic. And just to let you guys know, I was trying this stuff before they became a sponsor. And I've said this before, but it's important to know because I love this product before they were the, uh, our sponsor. And I felt like it was working for me. I felt like I had a focus I just felt my memory, everything, uh, sense of well-being. I just felt better. And um, I know people, listeners that have come up to me saying how much it works for them. And I like that. I like that it's it's not just me that notices the effects, but everyone else around me. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle age feeling, also known as zombie cells. They are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. It's kind of like pruning and the yellowing uh, of, of dead leaves off a plant. Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And you get a 100-day money-back guarantee. Um, like I said, my energy levels are up. I feel younger when I take it. I feel more focused, less aches and pains, and Lord knows I have those. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about BetterHelp, and it has helped a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family, and uh, it's just so important. I, I find therapy to be so helpful in so many different ways. A lot of us wish we had more time, but time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Therapy can help everyone be the best they can be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online 
designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. That's a great thing. Yeah. And and was he the kind of father that would ever like question something you did? Like, hey, you sure you want to do this? Yeah, you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to act? I'll share this with you because I feel comfortable. All right. I had just moved to New York. And uh, so I was, I guess, just out of college. And my mom comes in, because I lived an hour and a half from New York, or I grew up an hour and a half from New York. So I'm in New York. My mom comes to visit. And, you know, this is in the 70s. So you got your little portfolio with your 8x10s. And between, I was working as a moving person for the walk-up king and his trustworthy stepbrothers, which was the worst fucking gig in the world. And then going to auditions. And anyway, my mom comes to visit. And because she's there, I'm in a cab and we're going to dinner or something. Because, you know, you take a subway if your mom's not in town. Right. And I stopped by the uh, the pot dealer to get my little nickel bag of pot, right? And she said, what is that? I said, oh, that's, you know, that's marijuana. And she says, so I put it in my little acting bag and we go on. Apparently, when she went home and told my dad, she just, she was so freaked out, so freaked and out. And she didn't let you on to. No, she did. I could tell, but she was trying to be cool. <laughs> she was desperately trying. But my dad, when I saw him the next time I went home, he held my face like this. And he said, Jonathan, Jonathan, lie to her. <laughs> <laughs> And I gotta say, <laughs> it's it's not great fathering, but it's kind of honest fathering, right? Right. I, you thought he was gonna say, "What?" I was waiting for. No, don't do this. Don't, no, but he said, "Lie to her." Was oh his advice? My God, were you tight with your like? You had a you have a brother. Yeah, brother, brother. Died. Yeah, he was awesome. He was he was the cute one in the family. Really? Yeah. I'll tell you one more anecdote about my dad before. He also when he was talking about. Uh, giving the birds and the bees talk about using a condom and how you have to respect women and all the, you know, all the right things on this sex talk. And he finished the talk and we had to go upstairs and get to the bedrooms and he went up the stairs and he stopped in the landing and he looked back and he said, and don't forget, sex is beautiful. And he left and went upstairs. How old is he at this point? He's dead. Oh No, at this point, not, <laughs> not now when he said this to you. He's dead. I, well, I was a kid, you know, I was whatever you are, 13. So what was he in his 40s? I remember a stupid story as my friend Emil Camacho. He was at his dinner table and his brother, Jose, his older brother, got a woman pregnant. Mm. And the table was really quiet. And uh, Mr. Camacho was very you know, soft-spoken, didn't say many things. Like when I call, I go, he goes, hello. And I go, is Emil there? No, Emil is not here. Hang up. Right. <laughs> you know, so he's at the table and terrible um, Filipino accent, but I could say it because, you know, my mom. That was my, Filipino? I don't know what it was, but Oof. my stepmom's Filipino, my my childhood best friend. I'm just saying, I'm I'm covering my ass. Yeah. I love Filipinos. You're Joe covering Coy. your racist I'm just ass. My <laughs> racist ass. And I remember he says, I was sitting there and I was drinking my, you know, eating my soup. And my father goes, You could have sex with the girl, but don't get unpregnant like your brother. Ooh. And he spit out his <laughs> soup, and that was it. But it's like, hey, you know. Uh, yeah, that's the same talk, but kind of in a different. Uh, but in front tone. of everyone. <laughs> yeah, in front of everyone. In front that's of everyone. Horrifying. Um, when did you know you had like this, like love for acting? Like this is this is what I want to do. 
it changed. I, I, I did like you did. I direct. I acted in high school. I acted in, in uh, junior high school. I was always. Were you popular? I was sort of popular because I was in so many things. I was in the band and I was in the glee club. I was in the drama club. And no I sports. In, I was on the track team. I was really bad on the basketball team. I was so bad in the basketball team. I didn't even start. And then I was sort of moved out by high school. So I was. I did track and cross country, which were not really sports in high school, as right. you probably know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I was in the it. band. Right, I was right, in the right. marching band. You in the band. You played trombone? Played trombone. From the get-go. Trombone, trombone was the instrument you chose. You know, well, here's how I chose. I was in fourth grade at Jefferson Elementary School in Bethlehem, PA. And in the public school at this time, again, this is now the 60s, the school district or the school gets a certain allotment of instruments. And fourth grade's where the music starts. So... I think there was one trombone, two trumpets, two clarinets, you know, whatever the fuck it was. And they said, Frakes, stand up. Okay, you got the longest arms. You get the trombone, you get that, and you get the flute, and you get the clarinet. So that's- that, Just like that. Bam, trombone. And you loved it. I did love it. Well, it was an absurd, you know, I like the absurd. It's really an absurd instrument. It is. That's a, it's a cool instrument. And I didn't even know this. You would know this. He was on the album, Fish's album, Hoist. It all happened across the street. From where I live. From right, that, that, he lived, you lived across the street. We won't give the address, but you lived across the street in a house supposedly that Jimi Hendrix lived in. Yes. And you played I, trombone. I lived next to Paul Fox, who produced, among others, the late, great Paul Fox, R.E.M. and Bjork and Jacob Dylan. And he was, he was wonderful. And the guys from Fish, who he also produced, obviously, came to his house and hung out and the mailbox at that house across the street from you used to be my mailbox was a cow you ever seen those cow mm -hmm. things and it was dented because so many people had hit it as i'm sure this whole drive this whole yeah street, it happens it happens a it. lot it's the, it's sort of the cow version of that of the largemouth bass mailbox which you see out in the yeah. country right yeah, yeah, yeah and this was dented to shit and so it was a landmark because that's when you knew when we got to my house or to paul's house so they knew I played trombone because they watched Star Trek and they were big fans of the show and all that kind so of wait, stuff. So wait, Trey Anastasia's there? Yes. From Fish. And John Fishman, who I still know. And, in and they are there with you. They're there with me and they asked Paul to ask me to play trombone on their album they're working on, on Saturday, in the studio out in- Did they know Westland. you were good? They didn't, that's the story. So I'm invited out and I'm so psyched, as you can well imagine. I get in the studio, they put the chart up on the, on the music stand, it is beyond my capability because I am only good or was at that point only good. Now I really have no lip at all. But the chart was too high. It was too fast. It was it was completely. Oh, yeah. it and raved. I attempted it. <laughs> so I played what I thought, you know, and he said, okay, let's start again. And, we, and it, was, it became clear really fast to me, but they were being very patient. The engineer was being patient. We try and try. It became very clear that it was not, it was not going to work, but so they ended up hiring the trombone player from Tower of Power, who was a monster. And but but the but the outtakes of my attempts to play the charts on whatever song it was I was meant to play on were saved and became this twenty nine second cut on Hoist called Riker's Mailbox is the name of the song. Obviously, it fell. Riker. Out. He played. Riker, a next generation. Boom. Come on. And it was my mailbox. It was my outtakes. And it's and and Paul, God bless him, 
gave me a gold record. I got a gold. I got a hoist gold record on my wall, framed. God, I used to. I was. I was listening. Were you a fish guy? I was fish in college. Yeah. Before any of my friends, I can't spare a moment. I'm the dog face boy. Ooh. I won't lend another hand to the warm girl of Hanoi. Don't deplete my oxygen for the guy who's turning blue. But ask me and I'll do anything for you. Remember that one? Beautiful. Oh, well. You know. Let's go out to dinner and see a movie. That's the one I remember. Oh, yeah. Dude, they, yeah, they're great. My friend, I have a friend, Kent, who goes to every fucking fish concert. He's been to hundreds. I'm like, how do you go to hundreds of concerts? That's what, that's what the deadheads used to do. I just can't so listen. So you're like yeah. 10 years or more younger than me so you're in a, an era that, i'm 50 yeah i'm 70 so 20 years younger than wow me. so i look 60 is what you're saying well you were talking about the 70s 80s because i was thinking about <laughs> your influences were in the 80s if my influences were in the 70s my influences really were the 70s too i mean i i love i love the 70s my my dad was a big hippie my mom kind of liked the pop 70s stuff uh -huh. she loved Joni and carly simon and she, you know she was doing valium and uh you know imaginary snow angels in the carpet yeah. listening to that shit all fucked up and uh and my dad was into zeppelin and uh my dad brought home the cream album from a student of his john, not Jarl john barleycorn was no, that, no the, that wasn't cream that was um this is uh yeah cream ginger of course baker ginger and, baker the drummer yeah yeah, yeah. wow clapton and he liked Jack all that Bruce. shit. Well, he was a jazz guy, but uh, he thought maybe I'd like it, and he was right. Do you still go to concerts? When's the last time you went to a concert? I what concert was Paul it? Paul Simon and Sting together at the Forum. How boring was that? I thought that was great. <laughs> Kidding! I love both of them. <laughs> I right? love both of them. And then I remember Sting saying, because they they traded back and forth, and occasionally they'd uh, you know they did a song and a couple songs together and a couple. And Sting said, well, I, I hope Paul doesn't hear this. And he told this great story about when he was traveling in his station wagon around the South with his band. I guess a pre-police band that Sting might have been in that toured bars. Right. And he said, uh, we used to play this. And then Sting sang, we all came to look for America. And it was Wow, that's Breath. cool. It was just having a good time. It was great. And this was at the Hollywood Bowl? No, this was at the Forum. At the Forum, the fabulous Forum. I love forum. the Forum. Yeah, that's where we used to go to the Lakers game. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love the form. I've seen some concerts there. I saw the Eagles there. And, um, you know, I'm, I love that you play the trombone. I think it's just amazing. Um, and I love that I'm across the street from my only trombone. I mean, that's, that's probably my coolest credit is that I'm on the hoist album. What do you mean? What do you, what look do you, at all the, look at all the work you've done. No, no, but I'm saying in terms of cool. You don't think playing, uh, you know, in all these Star Trek no, movies I think and directing that, Commander William Riker and all the all the no, stuff. No, that's, you don't think that's cool. That, I think it's very cool, right? But I'm saying of the of the other part, you know, you know what I mean when I say cool. This is Riker is what I'm. Yeah. yeah, like for me, I ha I just came out with a, a new album, and uh, my band's called Sunspin, and I thought it was really cool that Richard Blade, who's like the '80s guy DJ, he has first wave with Richard Blade, and this next band is a band called Sunspin, and and he played, and I have it, and I posted it, but he played it and talked about the band and loved it and played it. On See, the, and I thought that was one of the coolest things. See, I didn't know you had a band. Yeah, called Sunspin. Yeah. I, I look i always loved music and i was like do you play out live um we we did before the pandemic and now um we play live virtual shows and that's a lot of fun. is that live virtual shows? well we're live yeah and people are watching us do you live. play at the cons um i you know i play sometimes i'll play acoustically at like little round tables and things and play for some people and play some songs they but love you in the, on the circuit 
You're very well loved. You are. Well, so are you're you. Like, I think it's important. How do you, when you go to these cons, do you, um, hey, look, people That's don't- That's why we're here together. Yeah, because we met yeah. at a con. We're not and I instantly con. loved you. Exactly. And I felt the same way. I felt, I trusted you enough that I was going to drive to your house to do a fucking podcast, which I never- <laughs> I, I, I tried to get out of it three times. I said, what, don't you Zoom like or any other fucking podcast where you th- there's no cameras? Then I find out there are cameras. It's got to be in person. It's just more I feel you. Tangible. I hear you. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. You, you dug in on it. I had to. Well, when I like someone, I'm like, I got to have them as a guest. And, you know, not all guests are that open. Um, not all the guests are, you know. But Yeah, but the list of the people that you had, I've rolled through. Some of, I mean, they're all great. They're, they're all great, but I mean, the, I checked in. On, I told you I checked on Nathan. Right. I texted Nathan. him this morning, and I checked it on WW Will Wheaton, and they both said, "Oh, please say hi to him. He's so great. He's so self-effacing. He's so prepared. He's so." They both said glowing shit about you. That's awesome. It really is. That's really nice. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You've heard me talk about Shopify. It's because I use Shopify. I love it. It's so easy to use. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch or online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Why it's so easy is when I want to add a product, you just go to your Shopify page and under products, you hit products. It says add a product and then you go in there and you add a picture of your product, which is self-explanatory right there. A little description, how much it weighs, how many of the item you have, and you're ready for business. It's so easy. And I say that because I can do it. And the analytics are easy to see what your best selling product is and, uh, you know, what's not selling. So you don't reorder things that aren't working and, it's just so easy to use, and I, uh, I really dig it. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Yeah, I sell T-shirts and, and tumblers and scripts and whatever you want to sell. It doesn't matter. You can do it on Shopify. Once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. 
By the way, working with Will, did you know a lot of like the stuff? Because he's obviously an open book, hence his books up there. So, you yeah. know, did you know a lot of the things that were going on personally no. in his life at all? He kept it from everybody. Well, and the, his parents were there, and we thought it was a copacetic family. We thought everything was hunky dory, that they were just quiet. We had no idea until he started to go through whatever he went through to find. He, by the way, is great at this. Have you seen Ready Room? Yeah. I saw you on there. Yeah, he's really, really. He's just so well read and so like does the research, does knows what he's talking about. But you do too. He's also got what you. He makes us comfortable. He's also very present, which he's which is essential, I think, in this in this job. And he really loves Star Trek. He does. He told me those stories where he would go in early and look at the ship and go in there before he even started working and all that. Were you, was that apparent? Were you like, this kid just, wow, this kid's. No, he didn't feel like a kid to us. I'll tell you the, the, this is a story that I tell all the time, but I'll share it with you so that you can have it in your, in your tape. (laughs) My repertoire. In your repertoire. (laughs) You've probably heard it already. No. uh, He he grew up in a show, obviously, right? So he turned. He started when he was 13, maybe. So he turned 16, he got a driver license, and he had enough money, he bought, a, he bought a Honda Civic, which was the same car that Patrick drove at the time, right? Wow. So we finished work together. At, uh, we finished at the same time one day. We're walking out of the out of the soundstage to go to where our cars were parked. And um, he's feeling, he's full of himself, right? He's 16 years old. He's, he's got a car. He's going to the parking garage. He's going to drive his car home. He just worked on this team. So uh, we're walking back to the garage. He says, you know, Freaks? I can tell by the clothes that you wear and the music that comes out of your dressing room. You used to be cool, didn't you? <laughs> oh my God. You never heard that story no. before? That's one of my big convention stories. <laughs> he said that. Oh, and I quote him and I bust his balls for it every time. What did you say at the time? Did you laugh? Of course I laughed. I thought it's you were fa- like, fuck you, kid. I, exactly. I think I, I laughed with a fuck you, kid. But uh, <laughs> so he he's, I, I never oh. let him live it down. He's amazing. It. He's an amazing human being. He really is. And I just, you know, it's it's tragic. It's like hearing that story where he sent a letter to his parents and and said everything and they just didn't respond. I know. And it just did you do you remember reaching out to him at all saying, "Hey, if I'm here if you need me?" No, we said that in how we behaved to him, which is what it makes him say to us that we were his family. He we treated him as an equal, I think, in a way that he wasn't treated maybe on some other maybe at home. Right. Which we None of us knew. And I always think of myself as a pretty good observer of yeah. human behavior. We were all in the dark about it. We've And we've talked about it privately behind his back. I said, did you fucking know? I didn't fucking know. I had no idea. But he is so eloquent about the relationship, how important that his relationship is with us and we with him. Yeah, He brings, when we're together in that rare time we get to do a panel with everybody, he brings a level of sincerity to the panel and inform he's so informed that doesn't allow us to get sarcastic or um what's the word i'm looking for with you um you've done this surface yeah very surface he doesn't doesn't allow any of us to go into that pat kind of answer world because he's sincere and he he wants and he listens and he's a very special man that's amazing. You know, um, I've heard a lot of stories. My friend Troy lives in um, up in Vancouver, and I was asking him some questions about what he knows about you. And he goes, I just know that I've heard that the cast has always really gotten along, that they all, for the most part, really like each other. Is that, is that honestly true? 
absolutely true. It is true. Yeah. And I, we've both been on shows where that's not the case. Right. I mean, and still get along. We're yeah. about to do all all this promo. The card, right? The card season three is You're about to drop. You're all coming back to the originals? Yes. It's, it's, it's a, I, I'm giddy about it. I, I feel as excited as I did when uh, First Contact was opening. It feels like that big a deal to me. And I know it's not, and I know I shouldn't get excited, but the buzz and the, uh, you know, it's not supposed to be a reunion, but clearly it is a reunion. I mean, yeah. And and it's, I talked to Brent today. Today's Brent's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Brent Spiner. And uh, he said, oh, there's Birdie. LeVar's shooting Hawaii, uh, NCIS Hawaii. So LeVar was calling from Hawaii. He said, oh, yeah, take Birdie. I'm going up to see uh, Michael. He said, oh, I love him. He's a nice, this is Brent. So again, the third part. I got to have Brent on. Him. Brent's a great guest. You know, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, Sir Patrick, right? right? Who doesn't insist on being called Sir, unlike Sir Ben Kingsley, who does. Oh, so then I'll just say Patrick Stewart. Yeah, there we go. So Patrick Stewart. So so Patrick Stewart. But you feel like you must do it. Right? I know. Now I want to, sir. When you have Brent on, Brent does as good an impersonation of Patrick as anybody in the world. Really? And I've never you, heard of an impression. If you of him. really get him, he'll do Patrick Stewart talking to Sir Ian McKellen, and their their accents are just different enough that it's hyster- it's like Dana Carvey, when Dana Carvey does wow. characters like George Bush talking to the church lady. Brent doing Patrick talking to Serian is priceless. Oh, you guys have to I you have to start uh, tweeting well, Brent Spiner now that he has to come on the podcast. Um, but how does I worry about you worry about lines sometimes? Mm-hmm. We we worry about more lines. now, of course. Yeah. Now as as you get older, but then you look at a guy like Sir Patrick Stewart, who's eighty two years old. You're directing episodes of Picard. I mean, a why is he why does he still want to do this he has nothing to prove right b how does he do it those hours are excruciating right. and how does he learn those lines right 82 he does it because it's in his blood he's been acting he's another one he's been acting his whole life he got into the royal shakespeare company he was very very young he's never stopped acting he's one of the world's finest actors he likes that he likes being that, sure. And, and uh, you know what it's like. Obviously, we maybe you may don't you don't feel the same way. The set is kind of our home. You don't you don't miss the set. I do. Uh, I do miss the the feeling, the the interaction, the connection with with people and being creative and mm-hmm. coming up with things. I do miss that. Um, no, I absolutely do miss that. Yeah. Anyway, Patrick is an early riser. He goes to bed having known his lines. He gets driven to work, so he's working on the, on the way in. He gets made up, and and uh, so we start early with Patrick, and we get Patrick's work done with any luck by lunch or just a little hour, an hour, hour or so after lunch. So we give him, the producers and the directors, the first th- half, two-thirds of the day, and then somebody else will finish up. So he doesn't do it, have to do 13 straight anymore. However... He insisted on doing seasons two and three of Picard, which was 13 months straight. So did he have to convince the studio that he was he could do this and he wants to do this and he doesn't want to be? They went to him. Well, of course, they asked him to do, uh, you know, they pitched him a show. He said, here's what I want the show to be. And then that's where Picard came from. And how is it directing him? I mean, you've done it for a while now. 
he's he's putty, absolute putty. Like he, he doesn't give you any grief. He doesn't give me any grief. No, he knows if I'm coming to him, I've either got an idea that he inspired or that he maybe missed a moment that he may like to try or um, or he'll say, I know, Johnny, act better. And I'll say, yeah, that would be great. Or his other thing was, is, I know how to fix this. I, I know what you mean, Johnny. Think faster. Watch. Here we go. Let's go. We've been that simple. Wow. But he's... um. We've done a lot together. I'm a lot. Of I mean, you've together. probably seen how many years have you been doing this since since Next Generation? Thirty Next Generation's thirty six years ago. Thirty five. Thirty. So, years of ago. all the movies, you directed two of the movies, right? right. Two of the they were big blockbusters, right? Well, they made one hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. But you've directed all these people many times. I have. <laughs> I mean, do you ever have any problems? Like, does it ever get like a family? Because we know families, they love each other. And then they also go, get, well, get with the fucking program. Why yeah. isn't that? Well, it, that can happen on the set. I And then I have to say, <laughs> you know, let's figure this shit out. <laughs> right. But um, I generally, I, I'm not a big confrontation guy. Right. So if, if, they're, if they're dug in on something, I said, you know, by all means, do it you know especially with lines we there used to be such sticklers like when we did next gen you had to do it by the book every line every line no consonants and and now people have started people respect that less which i think is a huge mistake since the writers have been working on these scripts for fucking months sometimes years you got to give them the respect to do them the way they're written at least attempt to make that right. come to life you can't change it willy-nilly so the occasionally that's that's an issue. I was trying to defend the writers a little bit, mm -hmm. but um, people misbehave sometimes because they're tired, because they're angry about something at home. Well, you know, you yeah, know. things so happen. They, things happen, and 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 you try to compartmentalize and not bring it to the set. But shit happens. Shit happens. Yeah, and I'm pretty good about trying to keep the keep it light. That's my approach. Right. I, I've I've. It's you know the cliche is that we're not you know we're not curing cancer. We're really just making a tv show let's although it, it appears that way when you're oh. working the intensity of like what we're and doing is so also important. what's the most complicated way we could possibly do this let's do it that way yeah that's true we have to make it cool we have to make people are going to lose their attention we have to move the camera more we can't it's none of that simple shit that i miss yeah where you just put a camera there and let the actors do it back to that you think i think i think there's gorgeous cinematography and, and especially all the new star treks were we're encouraged to shoot sort of cinematically and filmically and as robbie duncan mcneil says you shoot the thrill and but you got to get your story and you got to get your close-ups and you yeah. got to see what as i say when let's get in here and see what they're thinking and that's that's kind of sometimes not sometimes you want to know what the fuck they're thinking you want to know what they're feeling and if you're zipping the camera around and you're missing that sometimes and that's uh yeah do you ever have uh moments where you're your slam a jamma right there on the guys close up close up it's just right it's it's yeah know, choker it, choker chin to top of the eyebrows yep. and it's there and you want this moment and you just are not getting it yeah and you just keep and you feel bad but they're just you not... gotta learn when to cut fish or cut bait or whatever the cliche is. yeah you, how many times what percentage do you usually have to walk away going mm, that's not exactly what i wanted i don't have to do it with any of those regulars on that show it's the guest stars yeah, it's guest stars, and you and if the guest stars you don't know, 
if, if and then or or inexperienced actors, you think oh, you're not. There's no getting there, or the or I just haven't communicated it clearly enough, and. I'm just embarrassing everybody now by asking for another take or trying to rephrase. Or we'll fix it in editing. I know how to fix this. Yeah, cut on somebody else and get somebody to do the loop the line exactly. the way you want it done. But um, as you experience is, as I said to David Ajala, you know who David Ajala is, who's the the male, he's like the male lead on um, Discovery. He's Sinequa's partner and lover and... Uh, I said one time, because it was a young actor who was, he was wanted to do this and that, and I said to a child, just offhand, off the side of my mouth, I said, God, experience could be a real burden. So I, <laughs> <laughs> he, and he loves that quote. He brings it up every time I see him. Experience is a burden. It's a real burden. A burden. Do you feel like when you direct, do you, let's say you jump into a show, that's already three seasons in, two right. seasons in, five. You don't have to watch every episode of what the fuck's going no, on. No, but you got to get somebody to tell you which ones you you should watch if you're, if you're going into. So usually the creator will tell you. Yes, yeah, somebody, the creative will tell you, here's our six best shows, and this will give you the tone. And then the producing director of the show will sit down with you and say, here's how we do shit here. Like um, Nathan's show. Right. Castle. Um, Rob Bowman who was one of our favorite directors on Next Gen, was a producing director on Castle. And he had me in, he said, oh, I think you'd be a good kind of a big brother figure to, to Nathan. And I know you worked with Stana because she was in the Librarian movies with, Nate, with Noah, so I knew the two leads. And he said, I think you'd really be a good fit for this company, but don't do any multi-move uh, uh, dolly moves. I don't want to waste my time with that, so don't do anything clever where you come onto the elevator and bring them down the hall and I don't need any of that shit. And get me three sizes on the stars in every scene. Those are the, the marketing orders. Couldn't be more clear, right? You go to Falling Skies, which was- Was, was Beeman working on that? Greg, Greg Beeman. Beeman, do you work with him? He, I love Beeman. He's he's the one who tells this next story. Beeman's awesome. Beeman and I wrote a show, sold a show together. Beeman was the showrunner on Smallville. He wrote a, directed oh, a lot of, of the big episodes. Oh, of course he was. Yeah. Yeah, so he was the we, producing director on, on Falling Skies. He's awesome. And he's got Love a big him. brain. He's got a big and brain. He's, he's, a, big he's a kid. He's guy. a big kid. Yeah. He's a big kid. But that was, that was a Spielberg produced show. And Beeman's uh, approach when he sits down with the directors coming in to do that. And I was doing that show because I, I was a friend of Noah. And uh, Noah was a star there. Beeman's, Noah Dolly? No. No. That was uh, Falling Skies was, it's meant to look like documentary war handheld footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you follow everybody around and you don't have to stay on with the dialogue and go and see what people say. So you stay in a shot as long as you can and the camera's on somebody's shoulder and that's the way the, the show looks. Totally different. But you have to know when you go, I mean, you don't go into these shows and try to fucking reinvent the wheel. Well, I'm going to do right, Falling Skies right. on a crane. And <laughs> I think what I'll do is I'll say way back here and we'll, then you don't get hired back. No. You have to know, like you said, you have the to know the show. Part, right. Because the, the people show. who are going through, with their uh, remote, they want to recognize, oh, there, there's NCIS, or there's Star Trek, or there's Castle, you know. Yeah. They want to recognize their show. And how much work does it take when you get a directing gig on a TV show? <clears throat> how much How much time do you have? You get the script, and then you have a couple of weeks? Yeah, you got, a, the, you got the episode before yours, you're in actual prep with the production. Right. But hopefully you get a script 
before that so you can start to break down the beats i break a script down as i did as an actor you break the script down with the beats mm-hmm. or you know each beat has its own intention yeah. and all that shit so I, I still break down a script that way as as a director so that i don't miss a beat when i'm trying to get shots and all that business or tell, talk to the actors right so hopefully you have a script but you know on television you often start an episode in the script isn't completely done i it mean it changes it's, constantly it changes constantly but you know sometimes you have the act you're shooting and i mean it's illegal now you can't start allegedly with a without a full production draft but it it used to happen really they just yeah. keep writing it as it went along well, wasn't that the way on smallville that, i mean sometimes but they usually had the scripts the scripts you, were pretty they were pretty solid but they would change a little bit yeah. but you never started an episode with um Act one and act three and an outline for the other. No, one. I don't remember doing that. That would yeah. have been, that would have drove everyone crazy. Exactly. And Especially that happens or it, it used happened. To, it happened. Yeah. It used to happen. It maybe didn't get to the floor like that, but you would some, you would often start prep. Oh, we're sorry. We don't have a full production draft for you, but come, we're going to do a meeting with the production designer. We'll talk about what we think the sets will be that you'd start your meetings, but you'd have like a five page document that said what they think the episode's going to be. That's oh, a bear. That's yeah. And just imagine you, you, you used to, and you know this. You filmed on with film. Yeah. You were shooting film, and oh, now that's right. I mean, how you you don't have a lot of time. You, I've done you a can- show. I, I did a show where the episode that I prepped was scratched either the day before no. we started shooting. Yeah, and Paul Gio, who is my writer on that, he and I stayed up for twenty four hours, and he rewrote a script. And he talked me through it. And by the time we were ready to shoot, we had a brand new script. It must have been two days because we had to cast some were people. Were you stressed? In. Yeah. Mike Truco ended up being in it. John Delancey ended up being in it. You know, all those, you know, all of our guys. And that's stressful for actors as well. Oh, my God. What about the script? This is where you call and say, I think you're going to play the devil in this. Are you cool? They're going to fly you up. That's when you do what um, John Putch did with me. I got a part. Do you want to come? I like that. You do. Yeah, you don't. I'm starting to try to wane you over. I don't I don't know. I you know. <laughs> Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. Boy, Ryan, have we talked about Rocket Money a lot. We sure have. Well, it's something that is easy to talk about because it's saving everyone, including myself and you, money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had about um 15 subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for 20 subscriptions each month. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. In fact, had this trial period for something that I was considered using. Mm-hmm. And then you go in there and you realize, oh, add-ons are $4.99 or this is $3.99. And then you want to give it a shot. So you kind of add these add-ons, which add a hell of a lot to what you're originally spending. And then you forget about it for like three months. Mm-hmm. You're like, what am I doing? This, this should be against the law. But the closest thing you could do, 
then to fight these claims is have Rocket Money do it for you. Uh, with Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. And I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll even help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. This is what I need. I need people like this in my life. I need apps like this in my life. I need Rocket Money in my life, Ryan. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, don't get mad. I didn't get mad. No, I mean, don't get oh, don't mad. don't get mad when you turn me down? Yeah, it's not well, you. Let's talk about Brent, who I've known and who I love for many years. Right. I have been told by Dean Devlin, who I work for all the time, who's a big fan of Brent's because he shot Independence Day, which, you know, mm -hmm. Brent's great in. Um, Dean said, I've tried to get Brent to do the show. I've offered it to him, but he's, I said, he said, this is a great part. He says, Frank's on one of the things I was, episode, I was directing. He said, offer it to Brent. I said, you want me to call him? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm sure. I called Brent. I said, dude, I got a part, a guest starring part. Uh, you're sort of a uh, Jeff Bezos kind of, but you're kind of a hippie. You're a tech magnet and you got the women and you know, you're, he said, where's the shoot? I said, well, it's in Glendale. Oh, so I'd have to drive then from, <laughs> from Malibu. I, I said, dude, it's thousands of dollars and, and you get to hang out with me all day. We're going to have a good time. I don't know, Johnny. If offered to somebody else, if they turn it down, I'll do it. <laughs> oh this is my friend with an offer. <laughs> so you're going to be that guy. You are clearly going to pull uh, a Brent Spider. If, if, I can tell. If, you don't have to fucking lie to me. I can films tell what it's going to be in like. Glendale. It's actually pretty close to me, so I think I would it's not like that. we're going. <laughs> it's not Toronto. It's not a Saskatchewan. It's Glendale. Or, um, look, you've had a, a lot of, obviously, a lot of success, a lot of fun. You, you're doing what you love. You've been married to the same women since, what, 88? 88. Been with her longer than that. That's 12, 20 
how many years is that? 35, 36. 36 years. I mean, you have stories that you could go on forever about. But I know that you've also had some tough times, right? I mean, we all have. I I lost a sister a couple years ago. You lost your brother. Um, Do you, is it something, you know, sometimes they say it scars over, but it's always still there. You always think about it. Um, um, how, How do you deal with that now? That's a really good question. Um, my brother, who died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 41, um, the week that my daughter was born, was, uh, as I said, a friend of mine, dear friend. We lived together in New York. We lived together in L.A. We drove across the country together when I came out here. So we were really thick as thieves. Um, since I'm involved in this thing with Armin Schimmerman and Kitty, you know who Kitty Swink is? Who's Armin's quirk. Armin's, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Armin's wife is Kitty, who's a 19-year uh, pancreatic cancer survivor. So she asked me to get involved in this organization called PanCan. I've never had a charity that I really believed in in my heart. I'm happy to help people out and do it. I, you know, we work for the food bank and all a lot of stuff and ALSs. But this is my brother. So I got a story. You know, you have a story with your uh, as you as you try to raise money. So being involved, thanks to Kitty has reminded me a lot of Daniel, because I talk about him more now like this, that this wouldn't have come up, I don't think, had a, it not been a thing that I've been talking about. I like it. I like thinking of him. I like talking about him fondly. I have great memories of the time. It would, uh, which joint should we have? Which joint? This is the, we had, we had, we had two bags of pot in the, in the 1967 Chevy sport van. And the big decision was, when we pulled over to the, because I like to fish at night. So we'd pull over someplace, but fish, and he'd roll his what? eyes and he'd say, which pot are we going to smoke? I said, okay, you, you decide I'm going to fish. <laughs> wow. I love it. That's Daniel. I mean, um, when it happened, was it just obviously shock? Oh yeah. But he would say he was yellow. He had jaundice. We took him into the hospital. For how long was from the beginning? He was sick till you lost him. Oh, not even six months, five months. They, they opened him up. That's about that's the whole pancreatic cancer thing. Nobody knows you got it. They opened him up. I guess they closed him up and looked and said, the doctor said to us, there's nothing we can do. He's got six months to live. I mean, he wasn't quite that cold, but those were the facts. But you had no idea until they called you like he was that sick. No idea. So who calls you? My mom and says, Daniel's, you know, he's got to go in the hospital. So it, we could see it was really bad. So Jeannie and I flew out and then we got the bad news together and then actually for part of his last few months, he came in the home with us in our house in, in LA. But he was, ugh. and he had a daughter that he didn't want to see because he was embarrassed that he was sick, and also he had been divorced from the same woman twice. And he's, it was a very complicated. Oh my gosh! How did you lose your sister? Well, it was my dad remarried, and they had a child, little Leah May, who I have her tattoos on my arm, and she was born with a chromosomal defect, so um, she was always in hospitals always you know back and forth for a while and then that's where she lived but she was she couldn't really talk Mm. she kind of laid there and she you know they thought that she was going to pass away right away when she was an infant they they said most of these children pass away early it never and she was like one of the longest cases she lived till like 14 15 years old and in that condition in that condition and just i mean probably almost died 30 40 times right and you know my dad was not an emotional person was never i would never not you know wasn't affectionate wasn't i never saw any of that ever it was just like 
go do that. You know, it was just, you know, very hard, very old school and whatever. But when I called him and he and she had passed, I've never heard someone cry like that. Yeah. It was jarring. It was absolutely oh. jarring. And, you know, people don't know what it's, it's like. Also, to it's lose it. been held up for 14 years. That, that's you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, they don't know what it's like to lose a child. Most people. But that's as close as I will come to knowing what it might feel like by oh. hearing my father. How did your parents, were it something well, they, they didn't talk about? my father, who, <clears throat> who we spoke about earlier, my father never recovered. My mom and I mourned, my mom and I wept, my mom and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think dealt with it very well, or as well as you can, or as realistically as you can. My dad, my mom and I said for many years, my mom lived to be like 94, my dad died when he was like 77. So she lived a long time after him. And um, we're both convinced that because he was so damaged by Daniel dying and it's so unnatural for him, you know. Yeah. That he had Alzheimer's, he had really bad Alzheimer's, which may or may not have been connected to. It could be triggered. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you talked briefly when we were making cough in the other room, you were saying how hard it is to, you know, to watch him slowly decay. You oh, know, with Alzheimer's, with the Alzheimer's, so brutal. Because I watched my grandfather. Yeah, it's brutal. It's just like, and, and like your and father. Sweet Paul, who I spoke about earlier, this producer had early on same Alzheimer's, thing, right? And he just died, and he was, he was your age or a little. He's in his fifties, so it was really, and he yeah, died for years. And my grandfather was brilliant, well read. A lot of them. That's the other thing. My dad was brilliant. A lot of people with Alzheimer's are big brains. So I maybe I, maybe I'll get lucky. Yeah, because I don't. <laughs> both of us, both of us should be fine. Brain. <laughs> we, we should be okay at least for that one. Hey, were you ever uh, were you ever fully yourself at all? Was there ever a time where you're like, I'm Jonathan Frakes, uh, I'm a good looking, strapping, tall movie star director, and you got you were caught up in your own shit and you had to get through that. Um, on the set last week, I I had been walking back and forth. There was really strict uh, security at this uh, Biltmore Hotel because it's a museum. It's got mosaics and Gauguin's and it's a Vanderbilt estate and all this shit. <clears throat> but when I was called to the set, we, we, we go up a ramp and I had my little acting bag with me and I had my suit on. And for days, I'd just been walking back and forth into this hotel past this security guard. So one day, he says, I got to look in that bag. And I thought he was fucking with me. So I said, oh, drop the bag. And he did not find me funny at all. And I was with this PA who, who I'd been entertaining by being an asshole. I'm like you, you know, I would like to entertain. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, okay, here comes Gotta Franks. get a laugh. Exactly, gotta get gotta a laugh. Gotta get a laugh. This guy wasn't having that. So he said, who's your boss? So asshole move number two. I said, well, I guess you are. Sit down on that bench. So it was clear. It was so clear that my shit was not funny and this guy was dead serious and he wanted to look at my bag. And uh, so I opened my bag and he looked, I said, what are you looking for? He said, well, we're looking for guns on the way in and people steal stuff on the way out. And I felt my mom and dad and, and my guilt of being a, a, a whatever you just asked about and, and a, a privileged. Right, right, right. It all came storming down on me. And I looked at him in this, this security guard in the eye, I said, I really didn't mean to be that rude. I am really, really sorry. And I was, I was so complicit and it was so, uh, you know, cause 
I, I'm sure you've gotten in trouble this way. Sometimes you just oh, think yeah. you're funny and you're just not fucking funny and people think you're just yeah. an asshole. Yeah. This was that moment. Mm -hmm. And the girl who was the PA was there laughing because she thought I was doing my shtick that I was or part of whatever my shtick is. And this guy, was, he was offended. I had uh, insulted him. I, you know, I was undermining his wow. job. And I, in the moment, I turned and I, and I looked for him for days afterwards and that same thing to attest, apologize again and again. Wow. Because it was, I was so fucking guilty of being an arrogant asshole. So yes, the answer is yes. And I've, I've done it on and off my whole life. I think it's, it's inherent. I don't think it's really an asshole. I think it's one of these things where we sometimes maybe inadvertently subconsciously go like, ah, you know, I, you've done this for so long, the swagger and I'm an actor and I'm funny and I make people happy and I'm just like a good guy and I, and I'm just going to, my shit don't stink and here we go. And, uh, Hey, and most of the time it's funny and it's good and you're being nice to people. And sometimes it's belittling or it could come off. You couldn't be more right. And it's inadvertent. I mean, you'd yeah. hope it would be. You have exact. Yeah. I feel it from you. It's exactly because we don't mean harm. No. And and we roll. That's how we roll. I ahead. hate when so, it's like that one person in the room. They always say if 100 people are laughing at you, 99 people are laughing. And the one person in the back thinks you're an asshole. You focus on that person. I know. It's like bad reviews. Yeah, it's, it's bad reviews. It's, it's uh, I, I we have empathy. Um, this is called shit talking with Jonathan Frakes. These are my top tier patrons. They get to ask questions. They're mm -hmm. amazing. They support the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash inside of you. I love you guys. Nancy D. Well, we love seeing you in front of the camera. You've gained quite a glowing reputation as a director. What was the most challenging aspect of first going behind the monitors? Ooh, trying to make the schedule with the amount of screwing around that the cast on Next Gen, including me, is famous for. Laughing between takes, taking the piss out of each other, constantly because you know the star trek was serious and star trek was generally very so when when we were when we cut there was wrestling there was singing there was all kinds <laughs> of shit patrick and wharf Dorn used to wrestle what and brent would do do uh like he were on vegas and he'd do a pretend mic cord and and we were so bad that um especially in the third or fourth or fifth season the only time we would shut up was not um, roll sound, have speed, camera. None. We're still yak 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 yak. You have to yell, action. Number one. We we went right up until the end of action, oh and it drove God. fucking directors crazy. And then when I was directing, I thought, I get it. And also, it, early on, you have to prove yourself. Yeah. Yeah, got you it. were trying to prove yeah, yourself. But I, that you I could was do it. very lucky, though. I had, I had a data show. So I had Brent Spider was the, he was the lead for the week, and he's very reliable. Uh, Renee Echeverria wrote the episode as a spec script. Who's now a big showrunner from also from Castle, and um, I'd been shadowing for almost three years. Right, so I was really. You were ready. I thought I was ready. Uh, Dave P, how do you feel about the way Star Trek has gone with its latest shows? I th you mean the uh, the next next generations or the the new show? Well, Discovery, I guess Picard, Discovery, Picard, Picard right? I think they're uh, individually exactly what uh, Roddenberry would be thrilled to see, and uh, they have they're all they both have all three of them have separate tones. What's really captured the audience, I think, is this uh, Strange New Worlds, which is with Anson Mount and Ethan. Patton. He's a good buddy of mine. We did yeah. a little indie together and uh, yeah. he did an episode of Smallville. And yeah, he's great. great guy. We did a whole season on Discovery. Right. He was so, 
So that was sort of the pilot was that season for so those two shows are very important to me. And Picard is, as you probably know, season three, we're all back together. So I have I have a very affectionate and appreciative and blessed feeling for all of the new. When tracks. do you when do you shoot that when you're all together? Well, that's done. That's done. That's airs. That's air. It airs when? February 16th, we dropped the first episode. We're doing a premiere at Man's Chinese. Can I, mean, I come? Yes, you can come. Where do you want to be? What do you mean? Oh, you want to go to the be? premiere? I yeah, mean, it, I could put you on the list. Put me on the list. If I'm in town, I will go. Really? Are, Are you, you a kidding? Trekkie? I mean, I know Star Trek. I, I I watched the originals, definitely a lot of the originals, and I watched a lot of Generation. Now, well, you weren't even born. When Deep the Space were Nine, I remember. Um, I, I watched some. Uh, the movies, I watched all the movies. Definitely more of a Star Wars fan, but Star Wars and Star Trek. There's way there's room for both. Sarah G. Yes, Riker's my favorite next generation character, hands down. Thank you, good sir, for joining. If you could be in any other character on Star Trek besides Riker, who would you be and why? Data, the android, is my favorite character on the show. And what Brent does with it, and not only Data, he plays Data, Lore, Sung, who created Data, Alton Sung, who's the grandfather of the other. So he's played five or six variations on this character. I've, uh, he's a he's an amazing character played by an amazing actor. Absolutely, and we're we're recording this on his birthday. I love that. Yeah. Um, by the way, if I if you were new to Star Trek, if people are listening to you and they go, you know, I don't really know Jonathan Frakes. Right. I don't watch all the Star Trek stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. But you know, they watch Castle. There's so many other things you've done mm-hmm. that they could go and watch. But if they were to start Star Trek next generation right. what episodes jump out that you should see here's where you if you have if you don't have time to watch 182 hours of television start with best of both worlds part one which is at the end of season three and then it's a cliffhanger and then best of both worlds part two is the beginning of season four and it's it's as good as it gets for next gen i think awesome a good answer right good answer succinct no one's asked you that have they never really liar my yes, appeal is there a storyline you wish had taken place on the star trek series and if so what is it oh god it's just a question you don't have to I answer know. it i mean you know they probably explored most stories yeah maybe up uh what maybe was it more i, I love the uh the holodeck when uh, i got to play the trombone but they, they brought the trombone in which was great i th- think there was an opportunity for more music probably oh yeah right? why didn't picard ever have an affair with what's her name which one? Uh, Will Wheaton's uh, mother. Well, maybe he did. Hmm. Do you think that's the subtext there? Yes. Don't you? I hope so. I don't think you would have asked the question if you didn't suspect. Maybe. Charlene, see, last question. What was it like filming North and South with Patrick oh. Swayze? It was filmed a few hours from me in Charleston. What do you remember about him? Well, that's when I fell in love with my wife, Jeannie Francis, who mm. played the, Patrick Swayze's sister. Swayze was, he was the mayor of Charleston, by the way, when we were down there. It was was the 80s, need I say anymore. He was Patrick Swayze. And I loved him. He had a huge heart, very talented, great horseman, great man. Um, And he carried that, I mean, he was... He was a good movie star. Yeah. You know what happened to him? He died from pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer. Where can people go if they want to? Pancan.org. Pancan.org. There's support there. There's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the biggest killers. 
Well, it, it's not only that, it's the, the uh, survival rate is so shitty. When my brother died, it was a 3% survival rate. Now it's up to 12, which is a big deal. So Swayze was awesome. Charleston was awesome. I remember taking my wife, uh, my wife, Jeannie, asking Jeannie out on a date, and we went to 82 Queen Street. And the, in the in the cast were, uh, Kirstie Alley was in the cast, and she was like the, 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 uh, the gang leader, right. you know? We'd all hang out together and go out dancing and all that stuff. And I said to Kirsty, I, I really think I like Jeannie. And she'd say, it's okay, Frakes. I think Jeannie likes you. I think you should ask her out. She was like, we go to the, to the counselor for, for advice. It was a riot. You remember that like it's yesterday. Oh, I also remember David Carradine was also in the show. David Carradine and Patrick Swayze were on the 23rd floor of the hotel we were staying in. And that was it where the bar was. And I don't know what they were, what they had had, but... There were big shutters. It was south. There were big shutters on the windows of this, of this uh, lounge or whatever it was in the hotel. And Swayze said, "I can fly." <laughs> and and Carradine said, "Fuck you! I can fly." <laughs> so they both ran towards the windows, and we had to tackle them both. <laughs> oh my god! You know what? True I have story. A, I have an animator sometimes that will animate clips of this podcast, and I think that right That's there, the one. I might have Swayze and Carrie come at you telling this. Story. I can fly. <laughs> Fuck you! I can fly. <laughs> this is amazing. Will you come back? I will come back. This has been a joy. I I, I could talk to you forever. It's so easy. Thank yeah, you, you for you coming to the easy. house. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, we're going to give a shout out to our top tier patrons now. Those are the folks who give back to the show in more ways than one. They keep the show going. Patreon.com slash inside of you. Uh, please help the show if you can. And if not, just listen to it and subscribe and tell everybody about it. Um, if you missed the intro, you might want to listen to some lo- a lot of good information there. I don't need to repeat it, do I, Ryan? Unless you want to. I mean, if people liked it, uh, you know. People like hearing you talk. You, you could read the phone book and people... I don't think that's true. Up. I think people get annoyed. You want to try? Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all I d- mentioned was that uh, the Inside You Online store has great merch like Lexmas scripts and a bunch of stuff. Go to sunspin.com for band merch. Our album just came out, streaming everywhere. Um, Patreon.com slash inside of you to be a patron. And um, Talkville Podcast, um, you know, check it out. You know, we're doing that. It airs Wednesday. We air Tuesday with a little episode, little uh, podcast that could. And uh, we couldn't do it without you. Write a review. I hope you liked today's episode. Let's give it, let's give the shout outs. These are the top tiers, folks. We're going to do it. Um, all right. You throw out a dialect. I'll see if I can do it. It a might be bad. dialect. Uh, it might be bad. S- Southern. Nancy D. Leah S. Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, GLE, Brian H, Nico P, Robert B. English, British. Jason W, Sophie M, Kristen K, Raj C, Joshua D, Jennifer N, Stacy L, 
Jamal F. Well, go New Zealand because we're, we're heading that direction. Mm, can we go Australian uh, maybe? Sure. Jennifer Lopez. Janelle B. Mikey Eldan Supremo. Yeah, 99 more. Santiago M. Chair W. Leanne P. Janina. Maya hmm. P. Uh, Belinda. Belinda N. Dave H. Sheila G. Uh, Brad D. German. Um, Ray H. Let's see. Let me sprechen Sie etwas Deutsch. Können Sie lesen und schreiben? Tabitha T. Tom N. Liliana A. Talia M. Betsy D. Chad B. Dan N. Angel M. Rhiannon C. Minnesota. Corey K. I have no idea. <laughs> Dave Nixon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Brandy, Brandy D. I don't, I don't know. Boston. Pack your cat and have it. Yeah, Camille S. Smnetic. Joey M. No, New York. It's like it's like Boston. Pack your cat. Eugene and Leah. I, I can't do it. Sorry. Did they do New York then? New York. Eugene and Leah. Corey, Heather L. Uh, Jake B. What is it? Angela F. Mel S. Orlando C. Caroline R. Christina S. Eric A. Sheena M. R. Andrew M. Zatoichi 77. Andreas N. Swedish. Oh, yeah. Oracle. Karina N. I don't do it Swedish. I'm from Sweden. Amanda R. I Irish. Jen B. Kevin E. Stephanie K. Jarrell, Billy S, Jamin J, Leanne J, Luna R, Cindy E, Mike F, Scottish, Stone H, Brian L, Katie B, Aaron R, Kendall L, House J, Meredith I, Charlene C. I don't know. We'll have Connor listen back for uh, verification. I, I don't know. Well, he's Irish. All right, for the Irish for the part. For the Irish part. But uh, guys, I can't uh, say thanks enough for uh, tuning in. I love you. Keep listening. Um, you know, we keep doing it. We'll just keep doing it as long as you love. keep doing it and you keep supporting me. So I thank you. It was great to see all, all the patrons in Dallas. I hope to see you guys in Atlanta. We'll be there March 4th and 5th. We're doing a Smallville Nights, me and Welling, on Saturday night. It's Creation Entertainment in Atlanta. So hopefully we'll see you there. All right. Uh, from myself, Michael Rosenbaum in the Hollywood Hills of California. Uh, I'm Ryan Tays. I'm here too. Can you use, you know, you used to do that. Ryan Tays. No, you used to go on. Tays. The way you said. Oh, uh, from the Hollywood Hills of California. I'm Ryan Tays. I'm Ryan Tays. Yeah. The Hollywood Hills of California. <laughs> we love you guys. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Dental Town. All right. <laughs> Be good to yourself. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.